If you have your Bibles this morning, find uh, Romans chapter 6. The book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, reading from the English Standard Version. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. This is part of our uh, series on... uh, changing from the inside out. And I wanted us to look at a crucial passage here in the Apostle Paul. Paul is not really talking about water baptism here. That's the first thing. Because if you'll notice, he's not talking about about being baptized into water, but verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, that's the baptism that he's speaking of, and what he means here is he uses a synonym in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So he's talking about that moment when we come to Christ and we are incorporated into Christ. We are united with Him. And he says we're actually engulfed by Him. We are baptized into Him, grafted into Him like a branch into a vine. And the idea that Paul is giving to us here is that, that the gospel message and our, and our Christian faith is not simply Jesus dying for our sins, as wonderful as that is but also being raised for our sinfulness. His his crucifixion solves the problem of our sinful failures. His resurrection is the solution to our sinful nature. And when we become a Christian, we're not just forgiven, but we're united to Christ, the risen Lord in our spirit. Uh, Paul talks about the spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1.19. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Jesus Christ. Or uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 9, if anyone have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. What he means by that is that the spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit but, but it, is the, it is also the spirit of the risen Christ. And when we come to 
this risen Christ, we are not, Christianity then is not simply a believer in the resurrection, but it is a participant in the resurrection. Not just in the future, but now. Our spirit is risen with Him. We are alive spiritually. Whereas we were, according to Ephesians 2, dead. He gives a verse up in Romans chapter 5, if you want to back up a little bit, uh, which I think also uh, summarizes this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, he says, While we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we've been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. That's why I'm calling us saved by His life. Because and He means the resurrection life of Christ. We are saved from the sinful entanglements and the sinful nature and the desires which can be overwhelming, but yet... Now, as a Christian, there is that inside of us, His life, which pushes that out. Ultimately, maybe gradually, but ultimately, it pushes that out. So we have been baptized into Christ, into His death for our sins, and we have also been baptized into His resurrection that we might walk in a new life. And that's the essence of the Christian story. If all a Christian does is get forgiveness, confession, forgiveness, as sometimes we do, sometimes we think that's Christianity, is I I go through a week, I sin, I go to church, I confess my sin, I get forgiven, and then I repeat If that's the cycle, we could have stayed in Old Testament Judaism for that. Because that is essentially what Old Testament Judaism was. They had a sacrificial system, and the the Old Testament Jew would come and bring a lamb or a goat or an ox or whatever, and that ox would die. They They would put their hands on it, confess their sin, and then it would be their substitute on the altar in the Old Testament. And then they would go their way, come back the next Sabbath and repeat. So confession, sin, confession, repeat the cycle of Old Testament Judaism. What Jesus has come to do is set us free from the cycle of defeat of sin, repent, confess, repeat. That is the particular New Testament message that Jesus the Messiah has risen and by His Spirit, the risen Christ can dwell in you and break the power of canceled sin. What what you have in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit and He is everywhere You have such verses as Psalm 139, for example, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? So the Holy Spirit was everywhere. God was everywhere by the Spirit in the Old Testament. Well, what's new about Jesus? What's new in the New Testament? Well, what is new is that Jesus said, I go 
If I do not go back to heaven, then I cannot send the helper, the Holy Spirit. So it's expedient for you. He says, I know that sorrow has filled your heart to the disciples. But he said, it's, it's better for you if I go back to heaven and send my spirit to you. Now, what is different in the New Testament is that the spirit that we receive is the spirit of Jesus, the risen Lord, who conquered sin and death and the grave and the devil and rose above it all, far above, and he sends his, that spirit of victory and ascension and authority back to his people, and it is the It is the spirit of the ascended Lord who conquered sin and death and the grave that he sends to us. That's different. First Corinthians 15.45 says that the referring to Jesus, he says, the first man Adam was made a living soul. That is, he had life. He was made a living soul. But the last Adam, speaking of Jesus, He has made a quickening spirit, an 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 enlivening spirit. You can't touch him without becoming alive. He's like a live wire. Current is in him. Now you could touch Adam and nothing would happen. He was alive, but he wasn't life-giving. But you touch Jesus, and it'll be like... Should I do that again, or is that sufficient? Um, Luke 6 tells about this when the woman came up and simply touched the hem of his garment, and power flowed out of him, and she was healed. That is the power of the risen Lord, uh, in infinite power now in his resurrection. That is why Paul says... Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? How can we? We've been incorporated into Christ, the risen Lord, into His death and into His resurrection, so that we, if we have truly been baptized into Him, we will certainly be baptized and united to His resurrected life. Very quickly, let me give you four or five things that this impacts immediately. There will be some differences. One, um, one difference will be your mind. You'll think differently. When, when you meet Christ, your mind will change on something. Your view of children, your view of women, you, you will have the, the view of Jesus on life. Your worldview will come from Jesus. He will be the source of how you think and the and the filter through which you see things. Your emotions will change. You will become healthier emotionally. Love, Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. That's all healthy. The key to emotional health is not counseling, but it is the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus in you. Now, I know that that gets me in trouble, but I'm telling you, if 
If a person has the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, self-control, you have all those things, that, that person is probably not going to need counseling for very long. Your emotions, when you're not a Christian... Because of your sinful nature, your emotions are messed up. When Adam fell and human race plunged into the darkness with him, everything got skewed. So, so you go to a movie and you weep over fiction. And you come to communion and you're as dead as a doornail. It doesn't touch you emotionally. That's messed up. So our emotions need healing. And the risen Christ, who is a very normal person, Jesus, the risen Lord, is normal. We're abnormal. So as we contact infinite normalcy, then we become like Him, normal, but to the world, weird. <laughs> That's because they're weird. It's just that there's so many of them, their weirdness seems normal. But Jesus is the norm. Jesus is the standard. So our emotions become healthy. Third, our will is strengthened. It's like putting in concrete, some of you guys know, put these... Uh, mesh, iron mesh, like fence, fencing into concrete to strengthen it. So when the Spirit of Jesus comes in, that divine strength suddenly energizes, emboldens, and strengthens your will because your will through the fall has been rendered ineffective. You can't say no till Jesus comes in. And fourth, your spirit will be quickened. That is, you will find desires bubbling up from within you to read the Bible. Wow, when that happened. And to apologize and to be corrected and to be humbled and to want to praise and worship. To pray, to trust like a child when there's no logic or reason for doing so. Even the body itself <clears throat> will have a healing power unknown to the lost person. I believe, uh, and let me give you a verse here, Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you, then he that raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, not the immortal, but the mortal, the body we have here and now. He will give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the cells of your body suddenly have an integrating center. They, are, they begin to orient around your inner man because that's where Jesus is. They become they become organized better. 
They recognize the presence of Jesus. Your, the sails of your body recognize that in your spirit is the Spirit of Christ. They recognize His energy. Paul says in Philippians 4 about, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Greek word there is who energizes. He pours His energy into me. There's an energy that comes with the indwelling Christ. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can raise this family. I can help these children. I can put up with having these babies. I can do these. I can love this husband. I can love this wife. I can forgive this neighbor. I can do all things through Him who pours this divine energy into me. You don't have to self-talk and pump yourself up. You have to just simply rely on the living Christ within you. A sweet lady at our uh, mother church told me a few weeks ago that um, she said, when I'm in a worship service, uh, she has a heart problem where her heart slows down to like 30 or 40 beats a minute. The normal's about 70s. The hers is way low. And, but she says, I'm tired all the time, but when I come into the corporate worship of the church. She says, all of a sudden, I feel normal. I feel energized. I feel vital. I feel revitalized in the worship. And the reason is because Jesus in particularly meets with His people in corporate worship. And so the body just thrives in the atmosphere, the, the hothouse plant life like, uh, like a new little plant growing up. In fact, there's a psalm that says that. I thrived in the house of God like a plant, like a palm tree. So the body responds to that. Now, let's come back to this Romans chapter 6 passage. You notice here that Paul asks a question. What shall we say then? Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Shall we continue in sin? How can we? Now he's, he's saying this on the basis of an argument he's just put forth in Romans 5, uh, uh, 10 through 21. Now whole books have been written on that section of Scripture. I'm going to try to give you a summary nutshell statement or two on what Paul is arguing and how he gets to the question of Romans 6.1. What shall we say to this? Shall we, how, shall we continue in sin? How can we? So why does he ask that question? And here's his argument. Give me a minute to develop it. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we have been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, that is, His risen life, saved from the power of sin. Then in verse 12, he gives the, his, sets, sets forth his argument. Verse 12, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned, or joined them in the sin. So here's, here's what Paul is saying. Adam, the one man, made a decision to sin against God. 
And as he unplugged from the God of heaven, the source of all life, he withered and died, uh, which was the whole point of the fruit and the tree and all that, to symbolize it. So he unplugs from God, withers, and dies. But he not only dies, but he brings into human nature death so that his children after him now have death in them. In some way, which I'm not uh, smart enough to figure out, death spreads. Sin and death are contagious. The, his, his progeny picks it up. And so they die. And if you'll watch in Genesis, they live to be a thousand years at the beginning and then 900 years and then 807 and finally down to 150 years and down now to 70 is the average. See, there's a decrease because like turning off the ignition of a car that's going 100 miles an hour, it gradually slows down. That's what happened in Adam's sin. So they unplugged from God. Now death has come in. It's passed on. Now there... You cannot stop that. It has spread. Notice what else it does. This is in chapter 5 and verse 14. But death reigned from Adam to Moses. It didn't just spread. Now it reigned. That is, it's in charge. It, it, you can't resist it. It's telling you that you're going to die and you have to obey Death reigns in that it tells you when you're going to die. You can't make any of those decisions. No matter how much money you have, how famous you are, how strong you are, you will ultimately understand the power of the reign of death because you're connected to Adam. Death reigns. Let me give you this illustration. Steve McQueen. Y'all... Have y'all heard of him, Steve McQueen? He's a little bit in more in my day than probably in yours. How many's heard of Steve McQueen? Some of you. He was pretty famous when I was growing up. When he was diagnosed with lung cancer, and this is... This is a man who was late 40s, almost 50. He was like, uh, had a lot of money, fame and fortune. And his wife described him as a hunk. Um, That's what my wife says about me, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) Steve McQueen would get up early, practice martial arts. He was a black belt in karate. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, he told his wife, he said, I'm not going to just lay down and take it. He went on a huge vitamin regimen. Friends started telling him about doctors who offered all sorts of home remedies. His doctor in the States said, it's not going to work. You've got three months to live, maybe six. He went to a doctor named Dr. William Kelly in Mexico, had treatments there. It did no good. Later they found out this Dr. Kelly was in fact a dentist uh, and was just bleeding him for the money. He then flew to Juarez, Mexico, where there was a surgeon who said he could cure him and he operated on him. But there, November 7, 1980, he died. He was 50. 
Everybody hoped for the best. They thought if anybody can do it, this guy can do it. But death reigns. Now, that's what Paul is saying, but, but the point he is making is not saying, look, death is coming, we've all got to get used to it. No, the point he is making is, look at chapter 5 and verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, then through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and righteousness reign. And down in verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. So here seems to be what Paul is saying. He's saying you're in, you were joined to Adam physically. And his one disobedience caused through the contagion, the mysterious contagion of sin and death, it passed on to you, and now you're going to die. Your outward body's going to die. It rains. However, you need to understand there's a new Adam. There's a new humanity, and there's a new race, and this new, this last Adam, because there's not going to be any more, you can be joined to him, and grace reigns. And it much more so because this, this new Adam is so much more powerful than the old Adam that he raises you as the first Adam condemned you by his one act, so this new Adam justifies and, and saves you by his one act of obedience to the Father and then benefits that and disposes that to all of us who receive that grace. And he says that grace is greater and it reigns. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, so grace might also reign. So get the argument. Can you defeat death? Can you stop it? Can you, can you take charge of death? And the answer is no, not in your mortal body. But there's a new Adam. And he comes and by his spirit in you, which energizes you, it ultimately not only raises you up now, but ultimately will raise your body from the grave. That's the new Adam. And it is just as irresistible, more so. It is just as inevitable, more so, as the old Adam. Just as death reigned, grace reigns. Just as His death in me reigns, so now in Christ, when I come to Christ, His life in me reigns. That's why He says, now what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? How can we, we who have been incorporated into Christ, baptized into Him, we've been united to His death and resurrection. If we have been, if we found that age and death ultimately come upon us and overtake us in the same way you will find that, that the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ will ultimately overcome and overtake you and be irrevocably, inevitably produce in you a life that is obvious. Supernatural. So Paul says that way you understand the risen life of Christ in you. You cannot 
continue in sin on and on because the risen life of Christ in you, like a, like a blade of grass coming up through concrete, it will burst open the hardness and find its way to the sunlight. It will ultimately conquer. So here, here are three quick observations. One, for the Christian who has received Jesus Christ, the grace of God, there is an inevitable change in us. You see how he puts that? Verse 3, Romans 6, 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death, and we who were buried with Him uh, by baptism into His death, like as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too walk in newness of life. There is an inevitable change. It may not be as obvious for a while, but just as there is an inevitability about Adam's connection to us, the death reigns, so there's an inevitability about grace in us because Christ reigns. Ultimately, it will break through. Number two, this new life changes us from the inside, for it is the risen life of Christ. Verse 4, he says of Romans 6, verse 4, we were buried with Him by baptism in the death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in newness of life. It's a resurrection life that begins on the inside of us. Christianity is not behavioral modification. But rather, it is inward transformation. And then number three, this new life in us must precede all outward changes. It has to precede it. We're, we don't say the gospel is not change your life and Jesus will come to you. No, you invite Jesus into your heart. You invite the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, into your, into your spirit. And from there, changes will begin to take place. You don't change to be saved his salvation changes us. Like old dead leaves pushed off by the fresh sap of spring, so His life in us pushes out the bad habits. I used to read this uh, reference of Jesus where He would say, uh, take up your cross and follow me. And I'd read that and I'd say, boy, if I, I wish I could take up my cross and follow you. And one day I read this verse. This is Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And get this. This is a tremendous verse. To those who have struggled with saying, okay, I've got to take up my cross and follow him. That's, that's what you're to do. Here's how you do it. That I may know him Paul says, and the power of His resurrection, that is the power of His resurrection life that, that's in me, and then I share, then I can share in His sufferings and become like Him in His death. Then I can live a life of self-denial. Then I can take what comes to me, whatever it is. When I first experienced the power of His resurrection, Jesus told us what we're to do. Take up the cross and follow. Paul says, here's how it's done. 
first experience his resurrection, then you can experience his crucifixion. Jesus had the crucifixion before his resurrection. We have to have the resurrection in front of the crucifixion. Because only by his resurrection life in us can we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow. That's the Christian life. And that is what he comes to us and he offers to us. I want us to pray together, and uh, I believe the band has one final song. But let's ask the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to come into us to be in charge, to reign in us completely and fully. Pray with me as the band comes. Lord Jesus, we ask today that you would go into the innermost recesses of our heart, and our minds, our emotions, that you would fill us, O God. And that we would know your fullness to overflowing. And that we would be able and then willing to follow you, whatever the cost. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.